So Martin, before I get started, let me right. just do this. Let me thank you for getting up so early in the morning oh, well, no, 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 to no, come here worry. to do this podcast. Right. Well, I mean, no, I'm no, it's Saturday, and, and right. it, I don't have to. I have to go to the theatre this evening, but okay. uh, that's not until five thirty. All right, all right, mm. right. So let's start off with where were you born? I was born in Croydon in England, which Croydon's about 18 kilometres south of London. Mm -hmm. It's an independent city, or it was then. Um, it was where the green belt starts and where there are lots of golf courses. Okay. So um, it's a place where Japanese have always loved to live because of the golf. My goodness. And the small hospital in Ashburton Road that I was born in, there were three babies born the same day. I was one of them. This is a small village? No. At that time? When no, you no, no, it was uh, an independent city independent with, with city, a mayor okay. and all that sort okay, of thing. Right, right. right. And, and, and the airport. The Croydon airport, airport as well. was, the, was the London airport at that okay. time, right. But uh, at any rate, three babies were born, and coincidentally, I was one of them. But the other two were both Nihonjin. Were <laughs> both Japanese. Two Japanese babies born uh, alongside of me um, in 1936. 1936. Mm. Do you have siblings? No. No siblings. You're the only child. We've always been a, a pretty small family, and yes. my mother always used to say, we prefer to make our own friends, not let God do it for us. <laughs> and your father, were you very close with your father? Uh, pretty close. I mean, my father um, was finally a bank manager. I mean, my mother was in the bank too, but um, when I was born, she had to break a film contract. I mean, she, she would have been a good professional actress. Um, but she met my father in what's called the Operatic Society in the bank. My father played all the, all the main roles. He was a very frustrated actor. Right. Um, and um, in the bank, in the end, he, w he finally ended up at the, um, the branch where he represented uh, banked all the theatres in London banked okay. with him. Uh, and of course, now, when you're talking about, you're talking about a bank is, because English, sometimes English and American English is different. Yes. In terms, so you mean bank is in where we put our money? Yes. Okay, all right. Okay, yes, good. yes. Okay. And he was a clerk at first, and he yes. worked his way up to manager. Um, and in the early days, I mean, it was the Midland Bank, which now has been absorbed, I think, by Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank. He would have turned in his grave at that. But uh, the Midland Bank uh, had only relatively recently merged with, I think it was called the Northern Bank, and the owner of that, Sir Cassie Holden, was a great friend of ours. So, you know, I, I actually, when, when I was a toddler uh, uh, and uh, started school and all that, well, it was very close to the Holdens. You know, it was almost a family bank, if you like. Yes. So I was very favorably disposed to banking, but I never went into it. Right. But uh, What type of child were you? Were you more academic or were you more sports-minded? I wasn't sports-minded. I mean, I, I was a good tennis player and swimming and running, mm -hmm. uh, but I played rugby football. I mean, I went to a public school, which, as you know, in a Britain is, is a private right, school. Right, that's what I was saying. That's the difference. Right, right, right. And, um, of course, rugby, uh, even compared with American football, is, is um, a rogue's game. Most definitely. You have mm. no padding whatsoever no, no, no. in right, these guys. Right. And they just recently made it so it's something that people are really watching and paying attention to. It, it is, yeah. Because you used to go from town to town or city to city right. and try to make up a game. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, and, and there were a, lo a lot of local clubs, but now... The professionals have moved in, and horror of horrors, uh, there's women's rugby, <laughs> which I don't want to watch at all. <laughs> I can go as far as um, soccer, but rugby you know, is another thing. Um, but um, so 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 going through school, did your mother or father try to push you in any particular direction? Not 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 really. I mean, I went to. 
two, it, it was the war years, and I went to two sort of high-sounding small schools, one called Ingleside College and the other Greenhays School. That was, I split between them uh, from five till ten, and at ten I went off to boarding school. My cousin had gone off to boarding school at seven. He it's actually went to the Royal Naval College at Dartmouth at seven, and he, he had a naval career as an officer. But I went to uh, a school in Kent, that's southeast England, yes. a very beautiful place, built in 1876, uh, overlooking the Weald, W-E-A-L-D. I've never found that word used anywhere else. The, the, I mean, it's high ground and, and it, it went, uh, the Weald was declining land uh, to the Downs and uh, the other side of the Downs was the sea. And uh, it was founded by the Worshipful Company of Cloth Workers in 1576 and it was a really rather wonderful place. Mm -hmm. But I did get, well, f firstly, I ran away two times. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. But you, you went there starting at the age of 10? 10. Wow. Did you want to go? I wasn't sure. But when I, you know, we had to get up early in the morning. We had to sit on the loo and deposit something and wait for the matron to come and check it up. Wait, uh, and then, mean, and then at the school? Yeah, the school, the boarding school. And then we all had to lie, I mean it was boys only. I understand. We all lined up for the cold bath and the matron stood there whilst we ducked under uh, fully uh, a full bath of cold water. And um, you know, it, it was good for the building character. <laughs> But so you ran away twice, you said. I ran twice. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> How old were you the first time? Well, I, it, uh, there were three months between the, the runaways, and the police came to look for me, and I hid in the dish uh, in the ditch. Okay. Um, the the school was six miles from Maidstone, which where there was a train that would take me home, and I walked. And when I heard a police car, I hid <laughs> twice. And then when I got to Maidstone, I had no money on me. I found um, a lady with a little dog, and in those days, at any rate, the dogs had to have a ticket, uh, which was like a child's ticket. So I sort of followed the lady rather closely, and the ticket collector didn't see the dog, so I got on the train um, and then took the bus. Um, I had enough money for that uh, home. Um, I mean, the, the, the headmaster, uh, apparently, and I heard from my mother years later, sort of actually praised me for my courage and initiative in doing this. What's the distance? The distance from that school to your home? Oh, was about 50 miles. Okay. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I did at least um, demonstrate my independence at that time, and I was quite proud to have done it. So the second time when you tried to run away, did you do the same thing? M you, much the same thing. You were well. successful the second time? Too? Yes, yes. So how'd they get you back to the school? Oh, well, uh, I was put, my mother put me on the train oh. at Bromley South, and uh, I got to Maidstone, and uh, I knew how to get in <laughs> back to the school. Your father, was he really upset? Not really, not really. Mm. Okay. But you know, the school cost a lot of money. Uh, not nearly as much as these schools cost today in proportion to income. Um, but um, you know, it, it showed that I wanted to do what, what I felt was right. And uh, I stayed at that school only until I was 13. You know, I was reasonably bright, um, but at 12, um, a lot of new boys joined who had been in cramming schools, and they were not necessarily brighter than me, but they'd studied more than I had. So I won all the prizes at 10, 11, and 12, but by the time of 13, uh, I wasn't the, <laughs> the, the star performer. Any longer, but at the same time, we couldn't take 
Um, I mean, for, for a university entrance, you took then the general certificate of education and the ordinary level, you couldn't take, uh, in those days, till you were 16. And I took it at 13 and passed unofficially. And my parents said, well, what are you going to do for the next two and a half years? And I said, well, do the same thing again and again. And uh, they began to be a bit worried about just letting me repeat things in that manner. And then the schools in those days used to ask, at 13 and a half, they would ask, what would you like to study, arts or sciences? And I said, neither. I'd like to st study social sciences. <laughs> and um, they couldn't provide that. So my parents said, well, if they can't teach you what you want to learn, uh, what's the point in paying these school fees and uh, you're not learning what you want to? Uh, and so then probably, I won't say I was the only person ever in Britain to do this, but I don't think anybody else had actually said, I want to study social sciences. And my ambition was to go to the London School of Economics and Political Science. And uh, anyway, um, we found that the local council um, from 15 uh, would pay for me to go to, um, what did we call them in those days? Uh, some of them became universities, but it was a school of higher learning. But for the first year, we had friends who were private tutors and they would take 20 students and they would prepare them for uh, courses for the General Certificate of Education, but uh, for interesting things too. And these, the, the, I, I joined up with them uh, and the other 19 were mostly Asian um, but they were, came from very rich families. And um, a friend of mine who be, became a friend for life um, was the sort of skion of uh, 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 the richest family in Thailand. His, his name was Banyong Lamsam, and the Lamsams really had a lot of money. Uh, and he was due to become a banker. And finally, you know, he brought his bank, the Thai Farmers Bank, up from number nine to number two. But uh, he and I got on very well together. Uh, and there were students from Malaysia uh, whose family owned ruby mines. There were uh, Greek, there was a Greek guy whose family were one of the biggest Greek ship owners at the time. And they were an interesting bunch of people. And, you know, they were much the same as my age, but I, you know, I was a little bit younger. And um, they were very interesting people to grow up with. Anyway, I went from that to the City of London College, where from 16 I started studying uh, economics, uh, economic history, British constitution, which was, you know, the, the law. Um, and uh, again, I was in a class where there were 25 students and 20 different nationalities. And I passed everything uh, the, the, the first year and I was due to go to LSE, the London School of Economics. Um, but I was younger than they normally had accepted students. So they said to my parents, well, why don't you just do the same course again for a year and you'll, from the age of 18, you'll benefit from our schools so much better. So I did that and I had a whole lot of new friends to make who joined up with me then. And many of these went on to become, uh, you know, very prominent in their own countries and I did visit them in later years. Well, you did, that's good. But uh, a lot of the time I spent um, with Filipino friends and uh, I mention that because, you know, d during the Second World War, for some strange reason, my, you know, I was very young. I was uh, 
five, six, seven, course, eight. Right. I was more interested in the Pacific War than in the European fighting. And my great hero was General Douglas MacArthur. And uh, jumping ahead a little bit, mm. uh, when I went to the Philippines for the, well, no, no, sorry, this, I, this was meeting up with the family in, in Washington. The first time I, I went to America was after I graduated and I, I had a semi-teaching position at a university in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, okay. where my friend Bang Yong Lamsam uh, was going to be a, a, a student, banking student, uh, and he urged me to come along, which, which, which I did. Um, but en route, I spent a summer in Washington, D.C. Uh, that must have been 1967. Um, staying, um, the, the, the parents of my th three friends who were brothers had gone back, the, the father had been ambassador in London, then he was with the Philippine Sugar Commission uh, based in Washington. And his second son, Ernie, uh, w when Ernie was young, it was just before, um, well, as the Pacific War was starting, and MacArthur was his godfather. So when I went to New York, uh, to Washington for the first time, um, my my sort of sponsor and guardian, if you like, was, was the godfather, <laughs> Douglas MacArthur. We didn't see much of him, but I was usually alone in the house on Fridays when he came in uh, to check that the, the kitchen was clean and the toilets and bathroom was. So you you got to meet McCarthy. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Goodness. Right. So that was quite exciting for me, <laughs> although I was overwhelmed with him absolutely, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't get to know him very well. But did you see him? Did he come in casual or did he always have on his military... Um, oh, he yeah. came in casual. He came in casual. Well, he, he was living he in Rock Creek Park in, in an yes. apartment somewhere. Okay. And um, the, the um, Romero family was living on 16th Street, which is, I think, the one that comes right out of the White House. Uh, and they were living in a house there. And, um, you know, the kids were going to, well, one of them, Rudy, had been at the London School of Economics with me. Uh, and the other two were at Georgetown, and uh, Jose, the eldest, had been at uh, Trinity College, Cambridge before that. So, you know, we, we all got together that summer, which was very memorable. Yes. But um, Pictures were big then, too. Did you ever get pictures taken of your friends, or like with MacArthur? Or anything no, like no, no. Nothing no, like no. that. I, I, know. I never think of taking photographs, yes. even to this day, even you know, day, when, yes. when, when the cell phone... The straight comes out, <laughs> you still and, and, you know, uh, friends I have dinner with and, I, and I'm probably not seeing again, and I think, well, you know, I would have liked to have it preserved happened. that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah. But I did go to Manila after I'd been in the States. I was in the States for three years in New Mexico. I will tell you one thing that happened that's never happened to anybody else. And the man who most wanted it to happen to him, <laughs> I did meet later, which I will tell you about. But in, in New Mexico, um, I was fairly unique. Nobody, I mean, it was a pretty good university. Um, you know, it was a mile above sea level and um, a lot of people on the faculty were there for their health because it was, um, you know, they had respiratory problems and so on, or only one lung. And um, I, I was fascinated because, um, you know, it was cowboys and Indians country. And uh, I actually went there um, to study business administration and I got an MBA, but, uh, and I got a BSc Econ from London School of Economics, which of course imp would impress anybody in America, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it did. Um, so I had to show my, my stuff uh, in America, and uh, I think in a way I did. And after the two years of the MBA course, um, I stayed on, and uh, I stayed on because 
the um, uh, Bureau of Business Research found a little project for me. And during the war, uh, the US Small Business Administration had borrowed money from small businesses and then after the war they never figured out how to pay it back. So what they finally decided, at least in the southwestern states, was that they'd appoint me for a year, give me quite a lot of money. I was paid more than the president of the university and the football coach. Um, and they gave me a government car, and I drove around mostly in New Mexico, but certainly into Arizona and Texas, um, uh, advising small businesses. Um, and I remember a, a woman I visited in Las Cruces, New Mexico, that was down towards El Paso, which is in Texas. She was canning uh, chili products in her kitchen. And I advised her, you know, how to market these. And actually, when I got home two years later, um, in the local Safeway supermarket, her product was sitting on the shelf. So I, I did achieve something. And I think it was Ashley's of El Paso. Um, they had set up in 1908 you know, on the fringes of El, El Paso and set up a, a, a Mexican food processing plant. Um, and by uh, 19, um, what did it have been? Uh, yeah, uh, yes, 1969, they were downtown. <laughs> it was downtown. And, you know, it was really too um, uh, valuable a property to be an industrial plant. So how did, how, did the, how did the chamber end up paying back the money from all the people they borrowed from? Well, it wasn't paying the money back. Right. It was servicing small business. Okay. So they never did pay back all no, these small no. businesses? No, well, no. I think they had no record of it. They, I guess they didn't. Right, yes. right, right. But, you know, I was the beneficiary of this. I drove about 150,000 miles in that single year. And the great thing is, you could never do it today. F firstly, they should never have appointed me. I wasn't an American citizen. Okay. I had a British passport. It's just one of your bigger colonies. Sorry? It's just one of your bigger colonies. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, and um, uh, yes, they gave me a car with, with you know, government license plates, which I used to love sitting in at the speed limit, and I would watch cars come up, uh, you know, a pinprick in the distance in the rearview mirror, come up close and then suddenly disappear again. Um, uh, they thought, you know, I was uh, police or, or something investigating. Like. But I found in various places, you know, I've always fancied a drink in the evening, in Lubbock, Texas, it's a, it was a dry county and there was nowhere to drink, but there was a military base. And somebody put me up to this, and you know, in a government car, you arrive at, well, in those days, a military base, and they immediately lift the boom and you drive through. Um, and they said, why don't you stay in the bachelor's officer's quarters, uh, and then you can use the officer's club. And do you know, that I did it several times, and I set up a, a, um, a, a number, you know, my military <laughs> number, which was fictitious completely, but I used it every time. And I paid $5 a night uh, for the accommodation, and I had, you know, subsidized food and drink. <laughs> and could you imagine today no. um, a stranger and a foreigner at that driving onto an American base right, and staying right. there. That's right. But all sorts of things were possible in those days. But from my Bureau of Business Research um, uh, activity, um, and there was a wonderful guy who was the director, um, uh, you know, I'd had a part-time job there whilst I was a student, and, and I was a what did we call it? I, you know, I was uh, a, a student. Intern? I guess it was an intern. Okay. But, but I was also a student lecturer. Oh, okay. Uh, and, well, 
I, I should say that you know I have an English accent. It hasn't changed very much. I think um, I think it's probably, but I think if anything, it's gotten milder, only right. so that you can be understood better. Right. <laughs> right. Because yeah. if you really gave me a strong English accent, it depends on where you're from in England. But you're yeah, right. right. Well, I, I was London, and, right? Uh, yeah, you know, south, southern England. Yes. But. Um, well, the first time I had taught any class in my life. How old were you at this time? By then, I graduated at 21. I was uh, late 21, I think. But you had no training. Well, like maybe you stood up in front of your class before and had to give talks and things like that. Well, you know, if you graduated in e economics, I was actually te teaching accounting at the beginning. Okay. And nobody told me that... <laughs> American and British on different sides. <laughs> uh, but writing on the blackboard, you know, and they were oh, you looking mean like for driving? Okay, yeah, yes. I, I got it right by accident. <laughs> but um, with that, gosh, I remember walking in there alone uh, and uh, I opened my mouth and said one or two words. Uh, and I was obviously English and everyone cheered and there were 130 students, most of them military with, you know, gold braid on the caps and everything. And I was terrified. But you said they cheered. They were excited? The well, fact yes, that yes, yes, yes. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean you know. They okay, that was nice. I, I seemed to bring them together. Yes. And, I was and this is in the 60s. This was in the 60s. Well, you this had was the Beatles. Everything was coming yes, out in the yes, 60s. Yes, yes, right. That was the London, a London. See, England was really taking over in right. America. Everybody was going English crazy. Right, right, right. Well, well, at, at, at that time, you know, we had um, in Albuquerque, we had a lot of people who were working on on uh, space projects, uh, the early space projects, and people would. Uh, fly to Cape Canaveral and be unable to finish their monthly assignment. I had to get very upset with them. Mm -hmm. And they usually around, uh, uh, they usually organized Sunday dinner for me at their homes. <laughs> and I, I was able to spend a few hours sort of helping them catch up. But there, there were a lot of very impressive people. And, and even the, some of the students, I mean, my rivals, who I beat every time, was the youngest operational colonel in the U.S. Air Force, who was a very proud man. <laughs> and I, I managed to beat him in every single course. Now, these courses being? Well, in business administration. Business, okay. Mm. And he's, right. he wasn't used to that. No. no. <laughs> But uh, no, it was, it was great fun. But one of the things that was biggest fun, and I had nothing to do with it, was that um, this guy who was my boss at the Bureau of Business Research um, was also uh, the head of the local chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, uh, but the Wetback Division, if you know what I'm talking about. What does about, that mean? No, I don't understand. Well, they were, they were Mexicans. Oh, Mexico, they call them Wetback, that's yeah, right. right, right. Okay. But how, uh, they uh, had a division, they had a separate division of the I'm NAACP. not so sure how it, but, but it was separate from, was separate from, 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 from the African Americans. Uh, African Americans. Yes. Well, it was called Negro. It was called Negro at that time. Well, it certainly was, yeah. and that wasn't a bad word. No, it wasn't bad then, no. 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 no and black was bad then. Right, yes. If you yes. called a Negro black then, mm. oh, that was, those were fighting words. Yeah, now, true. if you call him a Negro, yes. those are fighting words. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> Isn't that interesting yes, yes, how time yes. changes? Right. Uh, at, at any rate, his idea was that I should be the NAACP candidate for president. And he actually listed my name. And when Kennedy uh, came to the Civic Auditorium in Albuquerque to give a political speech, I was terrified somebody was going to ask me to make a speech, but nobody did. Uh, but certainly I was listed. Um, and um, 
I, I was in, in Hong Kong by the time uh, the elections came along. Uh, but <laughs> I don't actually know, I don't think, I, I, I don't know whether I got any votes at all. Nobody bothered to report to me. But the point was, they wanted to establish that you could list somebody for President of the United States without mm. checking on the background. And um, of course, there was one person in America who in a month's time will be a hundred, <laughs> who wanted more than anybody else ever wanted to be president, and that was Henry Kissinger. And when I finally met him, and I'll tell you this now, because I think it's quite an interesting story, it was very much later, it was the, uh, 1989, uh, almost the end of the Soviet Union, and Pierre Cardin had invited a Russian rock opera to play performances at the city centre in New York. And um, I arrived in New York, that was on a Sunday night. I arrived on Friday and found invitations from Cardin to attend. I, and it was a black tie affair. I had, a, I had well, I went out and bought a black tie, but I had a new silk shirt and I had a, a, um, a suit with a very fine uh, uh, silver stripe um, that, you know, w looked like uh, a tuxedo. And uh, anyway, I accepted the invitation and went along. And um, I found myself sitting next but one to Cardan himself and lots of high society New Yorkers trying to speak to me in French, <laughs> which I sort of, uh, I managed to hold them off um, uh, until the, the curtain went up. Um, and there was a dinner afterwards uh, and must have been about 30 people round the table and Cardin owned Maxine's so it was at Maxine's and in the American manner although he was French uh, the person who'd come the furthest was the guest of honour uh, so he sat at one end of the table I sat at the other end of the table and on either side of me were two friends who I've been thinking about the past year or so very much um, but I didn't know them until then. On one side of me with his wife was the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN, and on the other side was the Soviet ambassador to the UN. And um, we were well, about one third through the dinner, and suddenly a couple who uh, had another engagement and couldn't see the show, but they, they wanted to come to the dinner and meet people. They came into the room and uh, a sort of short tubby husband and a tall wife in a boiler suit. Um, and instead of going to Cardan, he came to me. Oh, you're Martin Naylor, he said. And I said, yes, yes. And I said, yes, Henry would like to meet my friends, the, the Ukrainian ambassador to the UN and the Soviet ambassador to the UN. And he first thought, Ukrainian ambassador to the UN? You know, th this was in, in Soviet times. He hadn't realized there was a Ukrainian <laughs> ambassador to the UN. And one reason there was, was because the, the Ukraine joined the United Nations before the Soviet Union did. And anyway, okay. um, he, he, he said, he talked briefly to them both, and then he said to me, well, how do you come to have such good friends? And I said, well, Henry, you have to have connections. <laughs> <laughs> and how he, I mean, everyone who attended, I mean, there was a plasmon. We had to sit where we were put, and there was a bio that was filed. Um, because there were lots of rather important people there. And he'd gone through that, and he'd seen my name. So I, I, he, we didn't talk about it, but th the only thing he could have known about with me was that I'd been listed. Uh, and uh, he, yes, we, we, we talked 
a bit and <laughs> I didn't actually raise it. But, you know, he was looking at me as though, uh, you know, he'd known me for years. <laughs> That's but uh, when, when I first came to Japan, I, I, I was at an American embassy party and the chargé d'affaires, the, the ambassador, it was Reischal, uh, and of course Reischal was in hospital a long time. Um, uh, he heard me say to somebody, you know, I, I casually mentioned, you know, oh, I ran for president in 1960. Um, and and um, he, he admonished me for sort of telling lies. And I said, well, you know, I think if you check... Uh, you'll see my name you'll see registered, it. yes. And I received an apology from he the did embassy. Check. But I still haven't uh, myself seen anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a good many years, 50 years or more have gone by since then. Uh, I think it's easier now to really check. Right. You could probably find out online. Right, right. The registrations for the time. What right. year would that have been? 1960? It was 1960. 1960. You had your name on the list to run for president. Well, th th this, this is what they told me. Okay, anyway. but I'm sure you could find it. Right, it's easy. Right, look for right, it. Yeah, well, It'd I be might, interesting. I might look for it. That'd be very interesting. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, 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 so. My, my, my American years were very American interesting years. because. Right. Um, I chose to write a thesis on the influence of British capital in the cattle industry in the um, uh, arid southwest. Uh, and, you know, Queen Victoria had owned a cattle ranch, which they called Queenie's Cow Outfit in, in West Texas. And uh, the guy who wrote Tom Brown's School Days uh, you know, a, f a famous British novelist in Victorian times. He he had uh, a cattle ranch in New Mexico, and I used to go up to Santa Fe. Well, when I first arrived there, I used to go up to Santa Fe to help sort out the state finances, um, because you know I, I I'd learned things that they hadn't learned, <laughs> uh, and so you know we had a lot of good discussions. But read my thesis, I'd go up to um, uh, the, the state archives and letters would fall out of books. Um, you know, a letter from Doc Holliday to Wyatt Earp and this sort of thing, which excited me immensely because they were all my heroes of my school days. And um, This is all during your 20s? You were in your yes, 20s yes, at that yes, time. Yes. I, I mean, I, w I was in New Mexico three years. That yeah. was the first place you went, New Mexico, from England. Yeah, well, the first place I went to, to live. Right. Mm. Now, why did, why did you go there in the first place? Wouldn't well, this was, was my Thai friend. Did you, oh, he, he encouraged you to come. You yes, mentioned that. Yes. You sure did. He, his cousin That's was right. an architect working in Denver, and um, he said, you know, um, to, to, his, uh, to Banyong, um, well, where would you like to go? And he said, well, you know, I'd like to get a bit of golfing as well. <laughs> so the, the cousin arranged New Mexico, and so I followed and, and got a scholarship. And to you stayed there, there for three years? Three years. And what would you do after that? I went to Hong Kong, uh, uh, Hong Kong University. Um, was and well, still is um, a very British university. Um, it was ra a rather wonderful place to go, and I was only a little older than the students there, and many of them I've kept in touch with. What did you study when you went there? Did you go there to study, or do you? Went no, there no, to I went there to teach. To teach, okay. Economics, economics, okay. economics yes. right? And try and do. Um, we tried to do national income figures for China at the time. And I, you know, nobody could really visit China. This was 60, 61. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I actually did go to China for the first time in 64. Um, but um, in, in Hong Kong in those days, yes, uh, it was, it was a, a British colony, and uh, uh, being British, I mean, I, yeah, I was upset, 
extremely upset, you know, when I would visit the, the big trading houses, there would be one washroom for the British staff uh, and another one for the Chinese <laughs> staff and that sort of thing. And I, I loathe that sort of uh, discrimination. Mm. Um, in, in, in Hong Kong, uh, I, I was given a one-year, well, I only stayed there one year, but I was given a one-year project by the Port Authority, which was to do a five-year forecast on the use of deep water moorings. And you know most of um, Hong Kong, I suppose even today there's a fair amount of it, but most cargo was offloaded from a deep water moor, a, a ship at a deep water mooring to a, a junk, mm -hmm. and that w they would take it ashore. And uh, I had to forecast how many extra moorings were needed. Um, and I was extremely fortunate in that I got it absolutely right, but I mentioned something that uh, they that frightened them at that time. I mentioned, and it was the first time they seriously discussed it, was containerism. And of course, you you don't unload con containers onto junks. You have to have uh, a wharf, uh, right. and uh, you it's unloaded onto dry land. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, the, I set them thinking about uh, building container terminals um, and they were a little bit ahead of Singapore and uh, I think other places in the end. But, but that was a, a very satisfying experience. And, uh, mm. uh, so you stayed there for only a year. From there, where did you go from Hong Kong? I went back to London. Okay, and you stayed in London for how long? Right. Um, and I stayed in London. I, d I didn't know what to do. And my father, my um, yes, my father was the bank manager. Um, he understood that um, you know I'd been in market research to some extent. And in St Martin's Lane, there was uh, up and down St Martin's Lane because they were in many buildings was a company that uh, had the same, almost the same misnomer as Dentsu uh, in Tokyo advertising. And we were called the London Press Exchange and we were the largest British advertising agency. And I actually joined their Market Analysis Limited, which was a market research subsidiary. But I'd, I, I spent three years with them before I came to Japan. But in those three years, halfway through, um, the first Asian marketing conference um, was about to take place in Manila. Mm -hmm. And in, in, it must have been, well, less than three weeks time. And I suddenly thought, well, maybe I should, should attend that. And L LPE, um, London Press Exchange was a private company and I talked to the president um, and uh, he said, well, that sounds quite a good idea. <laughs> he said on a Friday, come back on Monday and tell me why you should go. So I spent the weekend putting together uh, a reasonable document and by Monday night, um, the travel agency was booking um, uh, a trip that was going to, I think in the end I went to 59 countries around the world. Based uh, on the document you gave him? Uh, I didn't give quite that many. Okay. Uh, I expanded it further. But, you, you know, we were, we were British. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we were interested in international advertising. We had small bases in New York and Los Angeles, um, but we ought to get out and be there. And I went out and took a look. Uh, How long did this take you? How long did this take you? Well I, I, I'm, well, I can tell you, I missed February 29th by the date line, <laughs> going flying from Los Angeles to Manila. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, and it, it was, you know, pretty early days of, of, of flying. I, I took off uh, and visited uh, 
just about everywhere you could stop. Um, how long did how long of a trip was this? Well, as I say, I missed February 29th, so I started actually on on February the 26th and went to New oh, so York. So, and you went every you went to all those places within. No, no, uh, I went to all those places and got back in early July. Oh my goodness. And, and, you know, I had carte blanche, I, I, you know, if I needed money, they'd, they'd send it. You needed it, yeah. And I, in most places, I stayed with my friends from the London School of Economics, who lived in quite big houses by then. <laughs> and uh, that was fascinating. One thing I, I, I sh should mention, uh, because there's a musical, well, it's played once in New York, but it's being rewritten and will open in June, mm. called um, Here Lies Love, um, with the music written by D David Byrne and Fat Boy Slim. I heard of him. And it is about Imelda Marcos. Who had more shoes than all most department all stores? Yeah, yeah, most shoes, department shoes, stores. Shoes, right? But I have to tell you, in uh, I, I saw it in America and weeped from start to finish almost, because it was my life in 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 um, Manila uh, with parties. You know, my friends when I stayed there in um, in in 1960, um, and Imelda's about. Seven, six, six years older than I am. Um, we used to go to parties, and um, uh, Rudy and Jose, their father, was by then Minister of Education, um, and he had a government, well, a self-drive government Cadillac, which he would trust to me to go out to parties in the evening. And Imelda was living um, in Quezon City at the time. And we were living in Makati. Uh, I don't know whether you know Manila, but uh, the Rizal Theater at that time was built in, in, the, um, in the corner of a cornfield. And of course, later it became um, the center of the new town in Manila. Uh, uh, and um, it was Makati. Uh, and, and anyway, uh, to get to Quezon City in, those, in that particular time, there were some rough roads. And uh, in Boulder, at the end of the parties, she, or, and, and she wasn't famous then. I mean, I think she, she had already married Fernando Marcos. But she always she was alone. She always wanted me to drive her home, and because I didn't want to damage the car, I used to say, "Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the car's full." And she said, "No, it isn't. I can squeeze in there." And in the end, I remember saying to her one day, "Well, if you really want to know the reason, <laughs> I hate you." <laughs> you didn't like me at all. Uh, and that, uh, you know, I was about 20, uh, what was I then? I was, you know, barely t uh, 22. Uh, and, and of course, Here Lies Love is, is about uh, those days. And, uh, uh, well, it, it's, it's about a little bit more too. It, it's when she had uh, <laughs> the rival shot at the, <laughs> at the airport. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, hope to bring that here, um, it would, would be interesting. The play? Well, well yeah, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, because in, in New York, it, it's, um, they're taking out most of the seats in the stalls, in, mm -hmm. you know, downstairs in the theater, and so it will be almost a disco. It played at, at the, a disco at the public theater in New York already, in, in its, uh, non-reorganized version uh, and that's where I saw it and but they've caught up with me in New York and it may be difficult to me, for me to get hold of it but a director here I'm working with is the best possible person but 
is busy through, his diary is almost full through 2027 mm. <laughs> already. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to work with the wrong people, but uh, no, it, it's, a, it's a piece of work I, I would be proud, so proud to present in, um, in Tokyo. And so let's get, let's get into the parts of this. <clears throat> Once you've finished being in Manila and you've done all that, when did you, what brought you to Japan? And you've been here, you said, since? Since, since 1964. 64, so it wasn't... Well, well I, I mean, I came Japan. back from my uh, excursion in um, the Pacific uh, right. Asia area um, uh, with a plan, and I didn't dare put Tokyo number one, I put it number two, I put Sydney number one, but I put Tokyo number two and suggested I came. And of course, this was this was allowed, but I came out here initially as, as a sort of market research operation. But we pretty soon got drawn into advertising because we knew a lot of things. Well, I knew a lot of things that local people here didn't know at that time, and in public relations, uh, it, it was IPR. Gosh, what was it? See, so many of those people have passed away <laughs> already, and mm. I haven't had to remember their names in years. But there was a company called International Public Relations that was owned by a rather wonderful guy. Um, we collaborated with him in the public relations field, um, and he was the very first person to actually uh, have an organized public relations office consultancy in um, in Japan, but I was very close to Dentsu, and I, at the very beginning, though, when I arrived, um, I had a room in Jetro, um, because I'd worked with Jetro in London, and Jetro is Japan external trade organization, yes. um, which everybody's always thought was exports, right. but, you know, <laughs> You, you can't just export, you have to import as well <laughs> to keep things in balance. Yeah, right. And so I got them thinking, that was from my visit, yes, that meant in a visit in six, 63, before I actually came here to live, um, I got them thinking about imports. And uh, my very first sort of part-time consultancy was with them and with a desk in their office, which in those days was over, almost over Tokyo Station, uh, where, Tokyo where Station? Dandimaru is. That was before they went to uh, Skiji with, there was a brand new building there in right. about 1968, probably, okay. it was. And then eventually they moved right next to the U.S. Embassy, didn't they? They had an office right by the U.S. Embassy as after a while that's not too far from here. Right. Jetro. Oh, oh no, so, so, sorry, I was talking about Dentsu. Oh, Dentsu, right. okay, I mm. thought you were talking mm. about Jetro. Yeah, yes, yes. Right. No, no uh, Jetro moved to... They were right beside the U.S. Embassy. I think so, yes. Yeah, they were. Well, I think they split and... and mm -hmm. uh, I think something was near the. Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to say the Hotel Okura. Well, that's that right is, between that it, is right, the US right Embassy. Between it, right. right, right. That's right, right across right, the street from the US right, Embassy. Right. Yes. But um, no, I, I, I came out here just to, to see what I, I could do um, to organize an office, a representative office. Uh, that was 64. And by 68, Leo Burnett out of Chicago, who had been Chicago only, and uh, Leo was a rather wonderful guy uh, whose um, ideas were sort of homespun and, and widely appealing. Um, he'd set up his, his advertising agency uh, and got some very big accounts in, out of Chicago, out of the Middle West. Uh, advertising really, you know, was Madison Avenue and, and New York, Manhattan. Um, and he'd worked his way up to number three with 30 or 33 accounts. Whereas J. Walter Thompson and um, uh, others had um, 
grown to first or second with 333 <laughs> accounts. He had some huge accounts right, then, Leo. Right, right. Had, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, when I came out here uh, at the start, I did have something to progress, which was the Dutch Dairy Bureau, which was to try and introduce to Japan natural cheese. And we did that very successfully. And of course, after we'd introduced it, um, the individual brands could take over. Um, but uh, that kept me busy until Leo Burnett came along. And of course, they took over or merged actually with, with uh, LPE, but the headquarters moved to Chicago. And so I was essentially an American advertising agency then. And um, we finally, uh, or they finally, um, decided to do a joint venture here with another agency that was almost next door to the American Embassy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my office initially was in, was in Urakjo. Uh, um, uh, I used to sit opposite the um, uh, Nichigeki Music Hall, mm -hmm. the, the block which now has become Hankyu and Seibu. Right. Um, this joint venture was set up with the Japanese agency um, we had a vice president in Chicago whose experience was um, Canada and Latin America, which really didn't relate to Japan. And he was the one who pushed this, the joint venture. I thought we could have done without it. Uh, and I split from the company. I was, at the meeting that I resigned, I suppose I was fired as well. <laughs> Um, and I set up on my own. And uh, you had your own advertising well, agency? Yes, yes. But how long did you have this? Well, I mean, I mean it, it continued and, well, uh, let, let, me, let me explain. I've got to think dates. Um, yes, no, 1976 is when I broke. Okay. Uh, and we took much of the, most of the business because it was business that I had developed. I mean, the local agency here wasn't so happy. But you're working with Leo Burnett? You were working with Leo Burnett at the time? Yes, yes. I, I mean, I became Leo Burnett in 1968. Until 76. 76, so that's nine, what's, seven years, right? That was seven years. Seven right, years. Right. And then I set, sat up on my own because I'd had other ideas too. Would you name yours? Sorry? Did you use your name? Yeah, yes, uh, well, and, and, and a colleague from, uh, from our LP Leo Burnett days, mm -hmm. and his name was Hurra, so we called it Naylor Hurra International. Oh. And how long did it last? How long did your company last? Till, 19, uh, till 2016. 2016? Then you put a stop to it. Right. Okay. Uh, well, by that time, my main colleague had ha had, had other interests, mm -hmm. and he'd always wanted to be a chef in his own restaurant. Uh, and that's when one reason why we did so well with developing the market for natural cheese. Because we had test kitchens and operations like that for a long time. But um, I'd always had theatre in my mind. What I didn't say earlier was that because my father was in theatre land, um, he, for years and years, was given free tickets uh, for West End theatres. So from the age of seven until I went to boarding school, um, and then from the age of uh, 13 when I left boarding school, I would go to the theatre two or three times every week which I've continued to do the rest of my life. And here in Asia, I haven't paid for a theatre ticket since March 1972. Now, why is that? Why is that? Well, I mean, uh, I'm part of the, the, the theatre community. Okay. Um, I mean, now uh, I'm a play agent, so most of the foreign plays and many of the mu foreign musicals we have licensed and we collect the royalties. Um, but just trying to put it into sequence, you know, I, I was always going to the theatre. 
My first friends when I arrived in uh, Japan were theatre people. Uh, my very first theatre friend sadly died only a few months ago, which was a kubuki actor, uh, Nakamura Kichiemon, the second. Mm. Um, and his um, elder brother, actually at the time that, that he and I got together, is his elder brother was actually playing the leading role in Man of La Mancha on Broadway in English for three months. That was around 1970. And uh, he was in those days named Somigoro Ichikawa. Then he became, took his father's name on his father's death, um, which was uh, um, Koshiro Matsumoto. And he's now taken his father's uh, retired na or semi-retired name of uh, um, Hakuo uh, Matsumoto. Uh, but, you, you know, I, I spent my time mainly in the Kabuki theater when all my, um, most people in my generation was, were learning the language. So my Nihongo has never been especially good, um, and it's still difficult. But I went to theatre and I understood theatre. Mm. And uh, sooner or later, you know, I knew I was bound to do something in theatre. And but in in 1973, nine years after I arrived in Tokyo, I had been doing the sort of things that that people noticed, so um, very unfairly, I think, I, I was given an honour um, by the British government or by, by Her Majesty the Queen, um, and I became a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire um, in, uh, I suppose it was 50 years ago this month. 50 years ago. Right. Um, and what was I given it for? Well, I'd, I'd helped uh, helped organize a British week in Tokyo in 1969. And I'd run for seven years as honorary secretary, the Nichiei Kyokai, Japan-British Society. And I'd shown interest in drawing British theatre to Japan. And I think probably for the first time ever, and I can't imagine Prime Minister Harold Wilson and uh, the Queen sitting down and saying that uh, let's give Martin Naylor something uh, that he hasn't done yet, but he can target <laughs> for the future. Um, one third, and an important part of my citation, was to do in the future, was to establish in the future an agency that would bring uh, British theatre to Japan. Not live performances, but plays, and we would license them. And from 1973 until we actually opened uh, a play agency division of Nailahara International, um, I was planning how to set up here, and I was prompted by um, British playwright Harold Pinter, who subsequently uh, won the Nobel Prize for Literature for playwriting, um, and his, his agent. They taught me what to do, and so we established this division in 1979, and it gradually began to take over our advertising business too. Um, so by the time we morphed into uh, a Japanese company here um, in at the beginning of 2017, um, uh, that was really all the business that was left in the company. Mm -hmm. No, I've been fortunate. I mean, so many of my closest friends have, have been in the theatre and uh, uh, along with the Fujima family who were the kabuki actors I was talking about. Yes. 
one of my very good friends was Kitoji Kinya, who was a very active um, actor. Uh, his father had been a film actor, uh, and uh, he did film uh, and stage, very little stage in recent years. There was uh, one one problem has been, and, and this 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 comes out at the moment, is is that. Um, you know, if, if I sit down and have a good discussion, it yeah. usually involves theatre. Always, yes, and, and, so. and, and during the period yeah. of uh, the, the pandemic, hardly had a good discussion with anybody. Right, I would think so. And it's been the lack of camaraderie, if you like to put it that way, uh, yes. during the pandemic that's been rather a depressing time. I think so. I think that was hard for everyone during that time because right. we found out something that I think a lot of us had forgotten about how much we need socialization. Yes, yes. If we don't socialize, entirely. we're not good at all. No, we need no. to be with other people. Right, right. That's yes, very important. Yes, yes. And I think that's why we're coming back with such vigor now. Right, right. <coughs> it doesn't, if they have another pandemic, we're going to say forget it. We'll take right. it. We'll die. Right. <laughs> as long yes. as we can stay together. Right, right. We've changed. Mm, I think it was, mm. a good, it was a good time for us to do that. Martin, I, your story has been really fantastic and fascinating, really interesting, and there's a lot more I'm sure we can go into depth. Right, right. Mm. What I want to ask, what I'd like to ask before I end the podcast is this. If, knowing what you know now, you could go back in time and talk to a younger Martin yep. to advise him, mm. what time would you go back to and how old would you be? Mm. Well, I think I've done what I wanted to do all the time. Um, I mean, my education was, I, I know very little about modern English literature. Uh, there are a lot of things that um, I, I never studied because I, I didn't, I, I wasn't arts and I wasn't sciences. I was social sciences and I was studying law when other people were uh, studying literature and, and language. Language is. Um, I think that, yeah, and I, I've enjoyed. I enjoyed my advertising years. Um, that that was all quite an inspiration, and we won many prizes for our Dutch Dairy Bureau. And, uh, and of course, everybody eats natural cheese now without thinking. Um, That's right. How do because there's it? one thing a lot of people don't realize that Japan was not big with dairy products up until you started doing that. They no, didn't no, really no. like dairy products. They wouldn't eat cheese. No, no, right. right. And that's why they didn't have pizzas and any of that stuff. Right, right. But it's yes, thanks, yes. Thanks, you know, thanks to what you've done, right. pizza's big business yes, in well, Japan. Ex exactly, yes. That's yes, right. Yes. But people don't realize that Japanese were not into dairy. No, I mean, there were, there were many. I, I mean, what, what I've never done, and I've never really had time to, is sit down and sort of work through my, my career what's happened to me and what I could have done better or what I might have done uh, alternatively. Um, Wouldn't that be because, you, like you said, you enjoyed everything you've been doing? Well, this, this is what you have to enjoy your life. So why would you go back and talk to yourself then? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. I want to thank you so much, Martin. Well, well I hope this isn't the last time because we're going to get to do it again. Oh, well, Because I think we can get in more into depth into the areas that you're really right, interested, right, to, right. interested in, which is theater. Yes, yes. Well, I, I've said very little about theater. I know. Right, right. But next time we will do that. Right, right, right. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Make sure you press like and subscribe. And never forget, it's all on loan, so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. <laughs>